Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Deep, the podcast about sport, faith, and life. I'm Brian Bolt, kinesiology professor and men's golf coach at Calvin College. And I'm Chad Carlson, kinesiology professor and director of general education at Hope College. And we're coming to you again from the audio studio, the newly revamped audio studio at Our Daily Bread, the worldwide mission that works to better your and my relationship with God. What a beautiful place we have here, Chad. What do you think? We love it here. We feel so welcome, and uh, the great people here at Our Daily Bread treat us so well. One of those, Bill Houston, our sound engineer for this podcast. We're so thankful. And so with the change uh, in the month into February, we had a change in the weather. So far here in Michigan, in the U.S., we had what we'd call a mild winter. We had pretty uh, normal temperatures, but uh, no snow and pretty calm winds and no snowstorms. But all of a sudden, here it came. Toward the end of January and the beginning of February, winter came with a crazy blast, a polar vortex. We ended up uh, at least at my family, Chad and I don't live uh, right next to each other. We live about 45 minutes away. And uh, at my house, we had to, we had to close school. Uh, all yeah. the schools in the area were closed. My kids were, my son, who was the only one left in the house, uh, was out of school eight out of 10 days. What oh happened for gosh. you? Yeah, we were similar. Eight out of 10 days. My kids are younger. And uh, school was canceled for a while. This polar vortex came through. February's been, it's been a, a, a nasty weather month. Yeah, and I'm just hoping that uh, that that means that March will be better again. Is that uh, is that how it works? March is the Jesus month, right? It it, it can be like a lion and, and like a lamb at different points in time. Is that wow? What is that scriptural? A, what a scriptural <laughs> reference right there, and what a weather forecast! Impressive. <laughs> That's great. So we're excited about uh, the change in season that may be coming. I'm excited because yesterday, as a golf coach was the first day of spring practice, and we're getting right back into it, having a good time uh, working out and getting ready to go for spring. But in order to play golf, obviously, we're going to need grass, and we're going to need the snow to melt. Excited about that. We're also in the middle of basketball season. Chad, have you been following uh, basketball? I sure have. The excitement of February is more or less because March is right around the corner, and that means March Madness. Where we're through the the All Star Weekend of the NBA, and that means that uh, basketball really amps up. We're into Rivalry Week. Uh, as a proud University of North Carolina graduate, I'm excited about the UNC Duke matchup later this week. Although yeah, I'm a little nervous. Yeah, it's one of those years where you're definitely the underdog in no rivalries. Question. I'm not sure that's a spot you want to be. People always talk about you know, enjoying playing the role of the underdog, but gosh, I don't know, with a Duke team that good. Zion. Oh, boy. It's uh, scary. Yeah. I'm, a little, I'm a little nervous about that one, but uh, rivalry games tend to just sort of work out. And uh, even though one might be favored over the other, it, uh, it certainly makes a difference that it's a rivalry, and generally the underdog makes it a good game. So we're excited to have that happen uh, hopefully this week. It generally does happen. You know, one of the interesting things for me as a Penn State graduate, Penn State fan, you know, Penn State is not a very good basketball team this year. We're struggling. And yet we had one monumental win, and it was last I, week. Yes. I missed it. Sorry. Yeah, you missed it. No. I missed it. <laughs> Penn State actually got a league win. I think there's actually two league wins now. but um, They beat? They knocked off Michigan. Okay. Yes. Now that uh, yes, the number that is a that's a landmark win. Really, it's Michigan's a having win. a banner year. I think ranked in the certainly in the top ten still. Even after that yes, loss, they're yes. 
ranked number six or seven. That's what they were when Penn State beat them. Yeah. Uh, six, I mean, I think there were six. It was just a, an incredible win. That brings the crowds back. Yeah. You know, uh, so the, the win was, was unique in and of itself, but also Michigan's coach, John Beeline, who's normally such an uh, even-keeled, uh, calm-tempered person, got kicked out. Huh. I wonder how, I mean, what happened there? Can you, do you, I, I did you see it? I, you know, I didn't see it live. In fact, so I, I had gotten home from, I think I was playing indoor soccer or something like that that night, and my wife said, um, you won't believe this, but Penn State's beaten Michigan. And we both kind of said to each other, we really want to watch, but should we turn it on? Because we don't want to jinx it. Well, it's funny so how we, that works, right? Yeah. We know exactly what it takes to get our teams to win, and they, they generally need us to either watch or not watch. Right. They need us to sort of follow through and, and uh, um, evoke the spirits of victory or something like that. So uh, there was a, a missed foul call. Um, I think it was probably, yes, a missed foul call near the end of the first half, and um, Coach Beeline sort of went berserk. Right. Um, just lost it. Like, I'm not sure anyone's ever seen him lose it before. I think the commentator said he hadn't been kicked out of a game since, like, 1978. I mean, we're talking 40 years of coaching college basketball not getting kicked out. That is an amazing record. Yeah. When you watch college basketball coaches, men's and women's coaches, uh, roam the sidelines, during the game particularly, their uh, main job often seems to be to ride the referees. Yeah. <laughs> Very often what they're doing is uh, expressing their dissatisfaction with, with what's happening with the referees. And uh, I think uh, a lot of energy gets poured into that. And it's just an interesting aspect of sport that we that we have grown used to and we actually tolerate at a pretty high level. I mean, we, we anticipate that grown men and women are going to lose it yeah. uh, over – over a call, and you can also expect that the referees um, are not intending to make bad calls. They're just trying to do their job. So it's a really interesting phenomenon that this uh, this response to a good call or a bad call is sort of built into the game and accepted by all of us, and it's a place where anger actually shows up as a part of the game. Yeah. An expected part of the game. That's absolutely right. We, for some reason, um, are allowed to to act on our on our deepest, rawest emotions when it comes to referees and their calls, especially regarding teams that we care about when they're playing sports. Basketball is a unique one. We see we've got a smaller court, and and the referees are there, sort of exposed for all to see. Unlike in um, uh, Soccer. So, yeah, I was going to say association but, football or or even American football mm-hmm. where the spectators are a little bit farther away from the field and they're also uh, they're farther away from the refs. Um, and so it's harder to sort of see and get to know them. But in basketball, they're right there for you. And you see all their emotions, all their expressions. They're there, bare, exposed for all to see. And then you've got uh, they're running by the coaches so often, the referees are, you know, within you. Easily within earshot, right? Sometimes within feet right. of each other, right? So there's there's plenty of time then back and forth for them to be able to talk to not not just one ref, uh, as in football, for instance. If you're the sideline ref, you catch all of the anger mm-hmm. of the head coach, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the one person who can hear you. But if you are a basketball ref, you're back and forth and you're crossing past that bench uh, moment by moment. And I have seen coaches actually pick on or 
uh, target certain refs because they think that one ref has it in for their particular team. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure if that was the case for the Michigan-Penn State game, but John Beeline, I think, exposed some some anger in a way that is uncharacteristic of him. And it, it seemed to me that he believed to his core that that was a missed call and that his anger was justified in some way. You know, that, that like, it's almost as if a guy that, you know, so there's coaches like, for instance, traditionally Bobby Knight that just are yelling at every ref and, and any little thing will set him off to become angry. And yet here's a guy that traditionally is not angry at the refs, or at least doesn't show it to this level. And so he must have felt like there was something that justified that type of behavior. It was probably a moving screen on the Penn State defender. He was probably moving. But, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, do do you justify that kind of response? Can we ever justify that kind of response? I mean, he literally stormed like he was mad at the ground going towards the ref and didn't, didn't sort of hit him physically in, in, in any way, but was just yelling at him and just angry, angry, angry. Well, I think what you're unpacking there is that concept of anger, that idea of anger is far more complex than we think it might be. Just the other day, uh, a professional golfer, Sergio Garcia, who has played in tournaments his whole life, and he's in his you know early 40s, I would think, and he's... Uh, He's a very accomplished player. He's worn the green jacket. He's been a Masters champion. And yet, during a tournament, he's in the sand trap, and he's unable to get the ball out, and he just loses it. Hmm. And so his anger isn't directed at another person. It's really directed at himself, largely, yeah, or maybe yeah. the the condition of the course. We don't really know. But he loses it, starts banging away at the sand, but then he does the he sort of does the, the John Beeline thing where he... he actually takes his anger to another level. He climbs up on the green and takes his wedge and pounds it into the green. And the interesting thing is, in this, most of the time, you know, these tirades that happen in professional golf that don't happen very often, but they're, they're generally tolerated. He was disqualified. Really? Out he went. Gosh, yes. He's normally a pretty congenial guy, too, isn't he? No, no. Sergio oh. is... <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, that's all right. Sergio, well, I don't know you know, golf. golfers are congenial in general. Okay, but so maybe that's what I'm thinking. That's kind of what you're thinking. But Sergio's had a few um, moments of anger before. He, he's got some of that hot sporting blood, as they say. So <laughs> for sure, uh, Sergio Garcia was experiencing a new level of anger beyond the general frustration yeah. that he was he was feeling. And so that that idea of anger, whether or not it's appropriate, whether or not it can have a place in sport, is really a complex question when we think about who our anger is directed at and the situation in which it happens. And in each case, I think um, we understand that anger and emotion is sort of built into who we are as humans, but what do we do with it? Seems to be at times a natural response, at times a response so that we can't we can't help. Um, you know, so often when we as, as Christians are are dealing with emotions that are not quite as common to us or those that are maybe uh, a little bit deeper in terms of our core, how how do we how do we respond a lot of times? Well we look to biblical examples. And it, it seems to me that there's quite a few of them in the Bible and you think about the anger of the God of the Old Testament. For instance, anger towards uh, God's chosen people for not following, um, not following His laws. We think about uh, uh, Christians in sport. For instance, oftentimes will point towards uh, Jesus turning over the tables in the temple. Absolutely, yeah. 
And going back to that that Old Testament reference, when uh, the Israelites, who uh, were God's chosen people, rebelled, which they did repeatedly over and over again, mm-hmm. it was interesting to see how God would use uh, various means to bring them back. But there was a clear intolerance of another God. So in the in the desert or uh, during a time the time of Elijah during the two kingdoms when King Ahab had decided to worship other gods and his wife Jezebel were worshiping uh, Baal and Asherah there was that famous classic moment on Mount Carmel where it almost feels like a sporting event mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Uh, Elijah versus the prophets of Baal were taking each other on, and they had actually equal parameters. It was, you know, set up the the altar, put the bull on the top of the altar, and then don't light it. And each of us will call to our God, one to the Lord and the other to the prophets uh, or to Baal or Asherah. And in each case, the, the God that would send down fire would be the one true God. And in this case... Uh, the Lord decided to send down fire. It burned up the sacrifice, and the prophets of Baal were defeated. The anger or the intolerance that God showed in that moment was a righteous anger. Well, so often uh, we see God's anger, and we understand it to be righteous, uh, especially towards the Israelites who we point towards and say, yeah, look at those people who could never trust in God and, and who could never uh, follow God's law like they should have. Look at them and how, how, how different they are from us today. And that's probably an unfair comparison to make. But the idea is that there are, there are times we see God expressing anger. And if, if this is a God that, along with being our, our God and Savior, once we get to the New Testament, is, is a God that, uh, that shows us through Jesus Christ how we should be acting and living, and that God expresses anger, then it could be okay for us to at times express anger. But what times? And if, and if you've been around um, Christianity just a little and not a lot, you might, this might sound normal to you because uh, people often think of God as a, as a God of anger. In fact, mm-hmm. people often think of this sort of scary God that is there to sort of watch over you and potentially oppress you or punish you for something you've done. But it's really interesting that in the Old Testament and the New, what more often happens is that we see a God who is really slow to anger. Mm-hmm. I think of the story of Jonah. Jonah was told as a prophet to go to this pagan city of Nineveh and to express to those people that they were about to be destroyed for their actions, for the way that they were living. And so Jonah was extremely reluctant to go. There's a famous story of him kind of turning the other direction and ending up being uh, in, a, in a storm on the water, being thrown into the water, and getting um, eaten by a giant fish. Well, eventually Jonah does make it to Nineveh. And it's interesting there that Jonah takes a few days to walk through the city of Nineveh and to prophesy on the Lord's behalf and let them know that they're about to be destroyed. And what's really interesting is that the people listened to Jonah, much to his surprise, and the people repented, and Jonah was angry. What's interesting there is that Jonah was actually angry at God for not being angry. (laughs) Our God is a God of love and mercy, 
That doesn't mean he's not a God of justice, but mm-hmm. it also means that God is slow to anger. And I think we see the same sentiment walked out and lived out in the story of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's absolutely right. I think the idea of justice is so important here that God's anger <laughs> seems to come out when there is a lack of justice, but but God is sort of the, the ultimate knower of justice, right? And so we so often... Um, fall prey to to anger even though we're taught to uh, you know try to avoid anger when, when we can and, and that seems to be biblical in some ways too that Jesus Christ embodies anger only seemingly at times um, that we're slow to anger and 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 quick to uh, uh, to steadfast love and um, and so it seems like anger is something that uh, that is really hard for us to, to navigate right it, it's just it's just a difficult emotion because it's there for us at times. And it's, it seems like it's righteous at times, and yet other times it isn't. And you mentioned the story of Jesus in the temple, and this moment where Jesus, um, very likely it's not the first time that he had seen money being exchanged in the temple. He had been in Jerusalem, and he had recognized um, corruption, obviously, all around. But at this particular moment, there was a message to be sent, and... At that time, he turned the tables over, and we don't know that it was a tirade. We don't know exactly how it happened one way or the other, but he did take an action that was uh, expressing a dissatisfaction and, like the Old Testament, a, an intolerance with the abuse of the temple. And much like John Beeline, uh, maybe, in that circumstance, uh, there is that, you said, he was noticing a, uh, a justified reason, right? A justified mm-hmm. reason for him mm-hmm. to act in that particular way. It's very likely that there's something else behind what happened with John Beeline, right? There were probably moments, maybe previously with that referee, right? Uh, maybe uh, something previously, that something that happened in that game. It's, it's probably unlikely that it came down to that one single call right. that, you, right. uh, that you saw and... In that case, uh, John Beeline decided to act in the way he did. And and uh, did you see anything afterward? Did he talk about? Uh, you know, I didn't. I didn't hear his that. response. No, I, I didn't hear his response a- at all. And maybe I should have. But um, I agree. I think there were likely other factors at play. This was sort of a swelling of of emotions, and it was his team not playing well, and it was maybe uh, some previous interactions potentially that that this is not a, a characteristic thing for him or characteristic response for him to anything in basketball, and yet he sees this and I think um, was, was outraged and felt justified, felt like it was righteous. Well, and I want to th- commend John Beeline just because we're, we're sort of unpacking his mm-hmm. uh, one moment of anger. Mm-hmm. And like you said, this is a culture that is pretty much built on being angry at the referees, and it's mm-hmm. very much accepted. And in fact, I'm sure at times in his career, he was criticized for maybe not coming down on the referees as much. And oh, so absolutely. Yep. To, to really fight against that culture is a challenge for all coaches. It's a challenge for all leaders of people when the culture leads you to be in one particular way, and yet your conscience tells you this isn't really necessary in this place, and it's not a... It's not really a part of sport or a required part of sport. Can we do it differently? And I think John Beeline, in large measure, tries to do things differently, and he should be commended for that. No, that's absolutely right. He has shown a, a pretty darn good model in, in the midst of a culture of you know, college basketball coaches that, that tend to uh, be a little bit more um, 
for show, right? A little bit more about themselves, uh, about sort of promoting their brand, what it is that they're doing. And some of that has to do with their behavior, their responses, their reactions to the referees, because so often the camera is on them. And John Beeline has been a little bit, um, a little bit more hesitant to sort of step into to that prevailing culture. And that's been, I think, something that's really admirable for him. And so this response, you know, this one-off response, one time in 40 years that he gets kicked out, boy, it's hard not to say, hey, that uh, seems somewhat righteous, you know, or, or somewhat uh, justified in terms of uh, his, his sort of body of work, his entire, you know, his entirety of work. And we see this, I'm not, I'm not going to relate John Beeline to Jesus, but we see only a few times Jesus acting angry, at least what we're told through, through the Gospels. There are a couple times, but more often than not, he's quick to love. And, and so Jesus is, is the God of love. And so I wonder if our takeaway from this conversation is that, one, anger and the justice aspect of it is comp- complex. Mm-hmm. It is not something that there is going to be an easy, quick fix to try to determine. God made us with a possibility for emotion. Mm-hmm. God shows emotion, right, And uh, in, in the way that we can understand it. And the anger is a part of life. God doesn't say eliminate anger. He says be slow to anger, right? right? And so those are two different things. And yet that zeal for justice that we often think is driving us is, as you said, uh, trying to draw attention to ourselves very often or very self-centered. And so when we measure that zeal for justice, it's important for us to be slow Mm -hmm. so that we can reflect on whether or not it actually does require our response, and and potentially a righteous indignation. Yeah, to know that we are not the ultimate arbiters of justice. So often I fall prey to anger and sport and otherwise when I believe that it's my role to be the arbiter of justice. And and I oftentimes then realize that justice is against me, for instance, or I feel that way and that that seems less justified or less less righteous, knowing that we have an ultimate arbiter of, of justice in, in, in God. Okay, one final one final aspect of this that I want to see if it's okay. Well, what if I'm just playing around? What if my anger isn't really real, but it's more fun for me, especially as a fan, right, to get angry at the Duke. Uh, I'm a North Carolina fan, right? So to get angry at the Duke fans or the Duke coach and to be able to just sort of let myself go in that moment. Chad Carlson, am I okay doing that, or is that uh, has no? Does that have no place in sport? Well, are you? What do you mean? You're letting yourself go? Is this like? You mean you're you're faking this, or you're you're not uh, you're not acting like an adult? I don't know. I I mean, have you watched uh, college basketball in and watched the student section? Yeah, for instance. Sure, sure. And so I think some of the sometimes uh, many of those students don't actually see the call. But they notice the people around them <laughs> that have seen the call, and yes. so they join in. <laughs> I had a, my college basketball coach was notorious for that, where he'd be turned around, he wouldn't be facing the court, he'd turn around talking to the guys on the bench. All of a sudden, there's a referee's whistle, and the crowd goes nuts, and he turns around. What? That was the worst <laughs> call I've ever <laughs> yes, seen. Of course. And we all knew. It. No, you, you didn't even you didn't see even it. You didn't even see it. You didn't even see it. Yes. I I I don't know. I I suppose there's something about uh, you know leadership where we feel like. Um, uh, and even as as a coach where you could feel like, oh, you're jumping into that on behalf of your team, for instance. But I, I, that's not your question, right? Yeah, and I guess I'm trying to get to that playful notion, yeah. right? There are certain moments where we do take on a little bit. You know, sport does 
uh, offer us this opportunity to take on a slightly different role of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of that emotion is allowed to come out. And I'm not sure that's all bad. Yeah. Um, And so that part of it to me, uh, I I think it's fun to root for a particular team and it's fun to root against another team. Yeah, in some ways, I guess I, I find myself in some ways exploring, um, you know, s- emotions that I don't feel are quite as socially acceptable outside of sport while I'm in sport. Right. And so some of that exploration, I think, is a little bit less um, intense. It's not less intense, but it's it's less real, less survivalistic, you know, if it's geared towards sport. I know sport has its end. I know that sport... Um, it really doesn't matter. Right. It really doesn't matter. And, and yet, so if I'm exploring um, emotions that, that do matter to sport, and sport does matter, but it doesn't matter in the way that, say, if I were to get angry with, uh, with one of my kids or with a colleague at work or, or something like that. And I think you might have a clue there. So, for instance, if you're doing something and had your kids been there, you would not have done it, probably yeah. shouldn't participate in something like that. I mean, in terms of trying to find a practical clue to try to help us understand, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm taking on this role, I'm having some fun. But if I would have had to apologize for it later, uh, if I'm embarrassed by that activity, that's probably a good sign that that your conscience is saying, uh, you've stepped over a particular line here. Mm -hmm. And much of life is trying to figure out how those those lines go, right? Mm -hmm. We're, We're built to participate in lots of different activities, and some of those activities um, real, really uh, stir up some emotions in us. And that's what we love about sport. The drama of that moment is the thing that draws us back to sport. And so when we have that opportunity uh, to be able to check ourselves um, and actually to think about it, I think, ahead, <coughs> sorry, ahead of time so that we are not caught off guard. Emotion tends to take over and it's only afterward that we think, oh, I think I stepped over the line. Mm-hmm. And so I think entering into sport, having a new thought, and, and I would guess John Beeline throughout the time of his career, throughout the, the length of his uh, time as a basketball coach, has thought very um, directly about his response to referees in basketball games. And in this one moment, maybe it was time for him to, to change. And it seems like this is a justified reaction. It seems like no, he's not getting criticism for being, you know, a, a rough hater in any way. And uh, um, and this this may not have been an exploration for him, as you say. He may have thought deeply over 40, 45 years of coaching basketball about his the way in which he interacts with refs. And this was one time when when it was a little bit more intense than than many of the others. So we didn't get very many answers here today, but it was fun to try to explore this very real part of sport, this emotion that finds its way in. And we see it day by day. And maybe you'll see it coming up here in the uh, March Madness tournament or any other uh, sporting event that is on the docket for early spring. Uh, Golf is one of those, Chad, right? Uh, You'll be watching the Masters? (laughs) No, not that it's not a good sporting event, but... uh, do golf are golfers allowed? I mean, are you, are you allowed to be angry? Sergio gets kicked out just for a little, just for slamming his club down. Destruction, dis, destroying the green, um, and that is at the um, discretion of an official to be able to to disqualify him. Um, if there are uh, there are provisions uh, in the rules to allow for disqualification for 
certain types of behavior. It's pretty undefined, but that yeah. would be uh, an example. Yeah, I just, I guess I liked, I, I kind of like seeing anger in sport at times. I think that, that heightens the, um, the drama. Well, and from a psychological perspective, the ability to uh, not only express anger, but also move on, move beyond it is what successful athletes yeah. often do. Absolutely. Yeah. These are the kinds of questions that we will continue to explore as we move closer to the Second Global Congress on Sport and Christianity, which will be held at Calvin College, co-sponsored by Calvin College and Hope College. It's set for October 23 to 27, 2019, so we're in the same calendar year. This is going to be a very exciting conference, uh, many wonderful keynote speakers and uh, lots of different breakout sessions, and registration for this conference is now open. Uh, that opened on the 1st of February, so you too can join in and uh, register for the conference. At, you can find it at calvin.edu slash events slash 2GCSC. As always, we are excited to uh, bring this conference to you and this podcast to you. And uh, we're also looking very much forward to uh, the opportunity to interact with other colleagues who have the same interests. Chad, thanks very much. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for listening.